It's good to see you in the house of God today. Let's all turn to our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Those of you online, we want to welcome you as well and thank thank the Lord for you in all of your um, faithfulness as well. Today we are celebrating Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on the last week of His life. And I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 21 regarding the triumphal entry. And uh, as I do, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then there will be some other scriptures I'm going to take you through. I've titled this message today, Palm Sunday People. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring, to, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Bow with me in prayer. Father, today I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak directly to us corporately, but also individually. Wherever we may be in our walk with you and wherever people may be hearing this message today, I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will anoint these words afresh and anew to our heart in Jesus' name. And if you'll say a big amen. You know, Palm Sunday to me is a very puzzling day. And it's puzzling because It begins in triumph, but it ends in tragedy. It begins with a joyful entrance, but it concludes with a sorrowful departure. It starts with cheers, but then it will proceed into jeers, and it will end in tears. In this message that I'm going to share with you today, I just want you to see, I've titled this Palm Sunday People, I want you to see the changeableness and the fickleness of the human heart. The Palm Sunday people are the people that responded one way one day and quite a different way the other day. As long as Jesus was providing the food and giving them what they wanted, they were happy. 
But yet, when Jesus did what he was called to do, and what his vocation was, and what his ultimate destination was, which was to die, that he didn't quite get it. I want you to see in the midst of the changeableness of the human heart, the matchless compassion of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see the unshakable constancy of God's provision in affecting your forgiveness and your redemption. He does not bend on that. Can you say, thank God? The day of Palm Sunday sets in motion the events that would ultimately lead to Jesus' betrayal, to his arrest, to his trial, which was illegal, by the way, and his execution, and which started the clock ticking on the last few days of his pre-resurrection life. It was a spring Sunday morning. Many theologians believe very possibly A.D. 33. It is known both as the triumphal entry in Scripture and we call it Palm Sunday because the event was of such significance, all four Gospels record this event. Not always do all the things you read in the Gospels can you find in all four because it depends upon what Matthew saw that Matthew wanted to reveal or that Mark caught that Mark revealed. And some of them were sent to Hebrew believers and others were written for uh, Greek believers. But this event was of, of such significance that they talked all four Gospels about Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. Now I want you to keep in mind something that Jesus always said during his earthly ministry, and that is this. He told the disciples, listen to this, he came to die. Everybody say, Jesus came to die. He says this in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay? So Jesus was not unclear. Jesus was not speaking vaguely. He was not beating around the proverbial bush. He literally said, this is what he says in another passage. He said, I will be betrayed in Jerusalem, handed over to the Gentiles, crucified, and after three days I will rise again. He even told him that part. And he said, again, I tell you this now so that when these things occur later, you will remember them. And yet, the Gospels record that these very same disciples who received this message from God, from Jesus himself, had heard it, but they walked away kind of in a spiritual stupor. They didn't get it. How many have ever, not, don't raise your hands, but you just didn't get it? And they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Another, that's one of the other gospels says they were afraid to even ask him what was it that he meant. Well, he meant what he said. It was pretty plain. Since 
the Lord's destiny, he said, laid in Jerusalem. He said, I must, I must go to Jerusalem. And since he came not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him, his father, there actually had to come a day when Jesus would enter into Jerusalem. And this is that day. That triumphal, sun, that triumphal entry Sunday. And you ask, well, why, why do we celebrate Sunday? Why do, we, why do we worship on Sunday? Why don't we worship on the Sabbath? Because Jesus came in on that Sunday, he died on that Friday, and he rose again on another Sunday. So what we celebrate is the resurrection day. That's what the disciples began to do. They began to meet then every first day of the week, which is Sunday. It wasn't so much about going to Sabbath. It wasn't so much about going to the, to the, the temple anymore. It wasn't so much about going to the synagogue. It was about celebrating Jesus' resurrection. And so um, that day came at the high watermark of Jesus' popularity with people, okay? It literally came at the high watermark, and the religious establishment had come, as we saw in that video there during offering. It, it, came, it came, this religious establishment, they hated Jesus. Did you realize that? So it was, in effect, the preachers of the day, the priests of the day, the church of the day hated the very one who made it. But the common people, the people that seem to have a brain in their head, are you with me? How many find that that's still a lot of time? It's the common people that seem to know, kind of have common sense. Now, I don't mean that against anybody, but I'm just saying, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what Jesus said. A little child can understand it. That's why he had them come to him. Are you with me? But these common people who followed Jesus everywhere he went loved him, or so it seemed. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave mobility to the crippled. He gave them back their ability to walk. He preached. He even raised the dead. On Palm Sunday, our Lord mounts a donkey and rides this, a donkey who had never been ridden. I'll try that before a whole crowd. A donkey who had never been ridden rode it into the city amidst this loud uh, acclamation of praise by the crowd. And I want you to notice these people are not just standing there, you know, arms folded. They're ripping limbs off of trees. They're throwing them down. They're taking their coats off. They're laying them down. They're, they're crying out Hosanna. They're crying out. They're waving their arms. They're waving palm branches. They're going, man, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Hosanna, the son of David. Do you remember David himself did that? David danced before the Lord with all of his might until literally, listen to this. Don't, I'm not trying to be x-rated or anything. His, his clothes fell off. His robe fell off, and it made his wife angry. She's like, boy, aren't you, aren't you the guy out there in front of all the maids and just dancing like a nut? But you know what? He said, I'm going to do this unashamedly. And you know, here's, here's something that I think is interesting. A person who came against a man praising 
never gave birth to a child in her life. Never had life surrounding her. I think there's something about praise. It opens up heaven. I want to tell you something about praise. Praise silences the devil because he knows he used to lead it. He knows the power that there is in praise, and that's what's happening right now. Remember the angels I told you about? They're going around the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They never cease doing it. They're covering their face. They're covering their feet. They're flying around, and they're crying holy. Those are the seraphim, right? They're praising God. There is praise in heaven. We better get used to praise on earth because we're going to be praising in heaven. Now, I want to just say this. You can praise God, and you can worship God, and there is a difference. Praise is demonstrative. Okay, you cannot praise God without doing something. Praise the Lord. Go into the book of Psalm chapter 150. Praise the Lord and find out all the different ways they praise the Lord with the trumpet sound. Clap your hands, all you people. You can praise God. You can worship Him without making bodily, getting your body involved, but you can't praise Him without getting your body involved. Not biblically. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Is shouting praising? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, can you just imagine someone saying this to you? You did something the best that you could ever do to them. You gave them the best that you could give to them. And they say this. Thanks. You're like, wow, okay. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus gave us life. Jesus brought our soul back from the dead. That deserves some praise. And these people began to praise him. Are you with me today? Some of these cities' residents, and listen to this, it usually numbered about 30,000 people, but on this particular time frame, it probably swelled to over 200,000 because you have Passover pilgrims that have come from all around, and they are throwing blankets and coats and, and palm branches before Jesus as he rides on on this colt. And the event is loaded with significance, firstly, because it had been predicted, it had been prophesied. In the book of Zechariah 9.9, this is what it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. He even tells you what to do. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now watch this. The crowd cries out, Hosanna. Does anybody know what that means? Hosanna. It literally means this, Lord, save us. Can anybody pray that today? Lord, save us. Lord, we need you to save us. You simply say that by pray. And notice it wasn't, they're not praying, they're praising. So praise is even a prayer. Lord, save us. Hosanna. 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 Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those are with the words Psalm 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, firstly, this happens. Secondly, our Lord's entrance is a political statement. Now, watch this. In the ancient world, when, an, when, a, when a conquering king, after he had conquered a city, he would come into the city after a battle, and do you know how he would come? He would ride on a stallion. 
or something even more impressive. Judas Maccabeus, after having driven out the Syrians from Jerusalem in 163 B.C., he entered the city on a majestic stallion. The residents of the city came out, and they waved palm branches as he entered and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when Jesus came in. When Julius Caesar returned to Rome in a golden chariot, it was harnessed to 40 elephants in the year 45 B.C. But whenever a king would enter a city in peace, he rode a donkey. Now, I want you to catch the significance of what I'm talking about. Jesus didn't come on a stallion. He didn't come on a chariot. He didn't come with elephants. He came on a donkey. So he didn't come to conquer. He didn't come to conquer politically. He didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to bring peace. But... He came amidst Palm Sunday people. He entered Jerusalem amidst adulation and clapping and shouting and smiles and dancing. It was a day of cheers, but the cheers would not last because the same crowd would less than a week later shout, crucify him, crucify him, all before the Roman Pilate. Judgment seat. How many of you would agree the crowd was fickle? The crowd was fickle because the human heart is fickle and it's untrustworthy. History records that Napoleon and his army were once marching through Switzerland and they were receiving thunderous applause wherever they went. The crowds were shouting out, Long live the king and vive la France and Hail to the Emperor Napoleon. And the general, Napoleon, was unimpressed. And one of his aides asked him, Isn't it wonderful to hear the roar of these crowds and the love of these people? And Napoleon replied back, he said, The same people that are cheering me today would cheer just as loudly at my execution. Now, whatever you think of Napoleon in history, what he said right there is true. You see, the miracles of Jesus had stopped. The healings had stopped. The fish and loaf cafeteria was closed. And Jesus is now coming in peace to save souls, not in war to overthrow Caesar. And because of all of that, the cheering would quickly turn to jeering. The human heart's fickle. Here's what the Bible says. Here's the biblical indictment, so to speak, of the human heart. Scripture says, the heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? And literally, it's beyond your comprehension to even realize what's in your heart. You say, no, 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 I know my heart. Well, then why is it 
that you respond sometimes the way you do, and it shocks you. Man, I'm not normally like that. Because you don't know what's in your heart. It's desperately wicked. And you dare not trust it. You see, the changefulness of the human heart is a reality. It was fickle then, and it's fickle now. I can't tell you how many people that I know that say, I know Jesus, but it just depends upon who they're around, whether they act like they know him or not. Because, you see, you're going to act like you know Jesus even when everybody around you hates him. And you're not going to be afraid to stand up and say, no, he's my father. He's my Lord. He's my God. I follow after him. If somebody takes his name in vain around you, say, whoa, 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 hey, hold on. That's my God. Hello? The next thing I want you to see is I want you to see the compassion of our Lord. The next event isn't included in Mark's gospel, but it is in Luke's gospel. Upon his entry into Jerusalem, even knowing full well what would happen, I want you to see this, and I'm going to, those of you watching online, turn, you can turn to Luke 19, 41 through 44, and here in the sanctuary we'll see this together. But before we get there, Luke 19. In Luke's gospel, upon his Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, even knowing full well what would happen to him there, he already knew the betrayal was going to happen. He knew the betrayal of the crowds were going to happen. And we are told by Luke that Jesus sheds tears of love and tears of grief, both, for the city of Jerusalem. Watch this, Luke 19, 41. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. And this is what he said. If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, if you only knew that, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They will surround you and close you in on every side and level you. And your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You see, there were a few. I'm going to go back to a word I've used. There was a remnant. There was a piece of carpet cut out of the big piece, so to speak, that followed Jesus. There was a a, a few But there were many who were just fair-weather friends. You've heard of those, right? They're only there when the weather's good. They're only there when you're treating them good. They're only there when you're giving them bread and loaves. They're only there when you're healing their bodies. They're only there when you're clearing their eyes from, from cataracts. They're only there when you're helping them speak. They're only there when you're helping them walk. They're only there when you've got something to give them. But when you ask something of them, they're gone. 
And Jesus sees the city and he weeps because he sees the opportunity that is being missed. He wept because the nation of Israel, God's chosen people who had been looking and longing for their promised Redeemer since the first sin in the garden had stared that Savior in the face and declared him insane and demon-possessed and would soon reject him and crucify him as a common criminal. He wept because the rejection would result. He knew it. He said it. He forecasted it. He broadcasted it. He predicted it. He prophesied it. He said, your city is going to be destroyed. He said, your enemies are going to surround you. You're going to be raised to the ground. They will slaughter your children. They will not leave one stone on another. And he's saying this as he's crying. And it's all because of this. Because you did not recognize your salvation when it appeared. America. America. God shed his grace on thee. Awaken to your salvation. Do you know what? Right now, I don't know if it's in this room or if it's somewhere else online. But there is someone or there are people right now all, you're hearing my voice, somebody hearing my voice today. You've done something very, very, it, it, it's, it's, it's hurt the heart of God. And it's hurt your heart. And you feel so guilty. You feel so ashamed. I want you to understand something today. God is here to forgive. America, listen to me. Anybody in America listening to me right now, you have gone away from God. You've walked away from Him. You are, you are away. You are a prodigal. You are hurting. You are away from God. I want you to know He's here to bring you back home. He weeps over you as He wept over Jerusalem on that day. Hear His voice to you today. Come to Him. Jesus' words of prophecy came true exactly 40 years later. Shall I share with you what happened in 70 A.D.? Just one generation later, the Roman legions under General Titus laid siege to Jerusalem to quell another Jewish rebellion in Judea. In August of A.D. 70, after they had circled the city for months, Jerusalem was conquered. History shows this. You can read this. This is history. This is history. The Romans, by now, they're fed up with the rebellions in the region. They ensured that it would remain subjugated. So Titus leveled the city. Just like Jesus said. And he put its inhabitants to the sword. The young, the old, the priest, the merchant, the men, the women, the child. And he exiled all of the survivors. He set the temple on fire. The gold that was on the ceiling melted in the heat. 
And that gold ran down through the cracks of the stones and the blocks in the walls. And there it cooled. There it hardened. Following the destruction of the city, Titus gave his soldiers permission to pillage and keep whatever valuables that they could find. And what his men began to see is they saw the gold streams that had hardened into the stones and into the crevices of the walls of that temple. And they took the building apart stone by stone to get to that precious gold. And when they were done, guess what? Not one stone was left standing on another. But Jesus wept on this day. He wept out of love. He wept because of the sinfulness and the blindness of the human heart. He wept because of the consequences that were coming upon his people for resisting God and for rejecting his provision of salvation. We have seen the chainfulness of the human heart and the compassion of the Savior. Now I want you to see, as I close, the constancy of God and His provision for our salvation. What becomes abundantly clear throughout the Gospels, and especially in Jesus' trials before Herod and Caiaphas and Pilate, is that Jesus did not accidentally stumble into legal difficulties with the Romans or theological trouble by the Jewish Sanhedrin. It was not by accident. Everything the Lord did, He did intentionally. He went into the lion's den. He went into Jerusalem knowing He was going to die in Jerusalem. He went into Jerusalem and told the very ones what He was going to do that would betray Him as He went into Jerusalem. Everything the Lord did, He did intentionally. Everything He said He said deliberately. Everywhere he went, he went purposefully. Never at any time was Jesus the victim of circumstances. And the second person of the Trinity left his throne in glory to assume human nature and die for your sins and for mine. And die he would. Satan even tried during the 40-day wilderness temptation to detour Jesus from Calvary. By offering him a crown without a cross. And you know what? Satan failed. Can you say thank God for that? At Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, John the baptizer declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. You see, Jesus' vocation to die, however, it began before that. 600 years Before Jesus' birth, Isaiah the prophet spoke in chapter 53 of the coming suffering servant who would die as a sin offering to bring peace and forgiveness to God's people. And what would happen is God would place upon him all of the sins of us and punish him instead of punishing us. Isaiah said, by his knowledge. Isaiah continued, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their sins. You see, the punishment that brought us peace with God was inflicted upon him, Isaiah declared. But Jesus' vocation to die began before that. 1,000 years before Jesus' advent, David, one of his great-great-grandpas, 
foretold the very manner of his own offspring's death in Psalm chapter 22. We always read Psalm 23, but read Psalm 22. You need to read it because it talks about they pierced my hands, they pierced my feet, they cast lots for my garments. David said, not surprisingly, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And do you know what? Do you know what Jesus quotes from the cross? Part of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But Jesus' vocation to die came long before that. Immediately after Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, God promised a coming sin offering by declaring the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman's offspring, Jesus, and by saying also that her offspring would crush the serpent's head, Jesus. But Jesus' vocation to die even began before that. Come on, somebody. John sees a vision in the book of Revelation of the Lamb which was slain before the foundation of the world, before it was even made. That Lamb was Jesus. Are you still with me today? Before one particle of the matter that created this world that we walk in, from time immemorial, it was on the mind of God to send Jesus to die for you. And die he did. Nothing in heaven, nothing in earth could, could or would thwart God's provision to save us. Nothing. The only question of any meaning this morning is, are you saved? Are you saved? I'm not asking you if you're a church member. I'm not asking you if you think you're a good person. I'm not asking you if you try to keep the Ten Commandments. What I'm telling you today is the Bible says all of us have sinned, every one of us. All of us have come short of the glory of God. There is, no, there is none righteous, no, not one. And if you doubt the Scripture's verdict, watch the evening nudes, or better yet, do an unflinching, thorough inventory of your own heart. We do not possess the moral power to redeem ourselves. We can't turn over enough new leaves. We cannot pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps because if we would, Jesus would not have had to come and die. You see, his medicine for our soul's sickness was severe. His suffering and death was the medicine that cured our sickness. The angelic chorus to bring the angels back into it. The angelic chorus at the Savior's birth said they brought good news of great joy. Jesus himself preached good news. Can you say amen? But this good news, this gospel church, is not that we must struggle and strive to live a good life and hope for the best when we roll the dice and take our chances and just hope it all happens good when we, when we breathe our last. 
No, I want to tell you something. You can live knowing that when you die, you're going to go to be with Jesus. You can know when you go to bed at night that when you get up in the morning, if you get up in the morning, you are still going to be saved. You're still going to be whole. You're still going to be sanctified. Your sins are still going to be forgiven. And if you don't get up in the morning, you'll be with him. Remember the Lord's matchless compassion. He said, he said, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul says, whoever, that includes me. Paul was, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. You might even think you've invented sins. You were so bad. But Paul says, uh, I'm the chief of sinners, and yet God still reached down to me. Amen. If you forsake your sin, that's what repentance is. It's just simply saying, Lord, I'm not going to walk this way anymore. I can't walk this way anymore. But you're going to have to fall on your knees. You're going to have to fall on your face. You're going to have to do what Jesus did, which was humble himself. To the Father's will. Let me say this before I, before, I, before I let you go. If you are a believer already, you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You have no doubt about it. The question that I have for you and my appeal to you is very similar, and that is this. If you're saved, are you living for him? And if not, why not? Look at this last scripture with me. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Let the same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, when you read that in the Amplified Version, it actually says it's one of humility because he chose to do the Father's will. What was the mind of the Savior? Humility all the time. He literally said this, I didn't come doing what I came to do. I, I, I can't. What I came to do was to do the will of him who sent me. Do you, do you know what that means? That means he was a servant. Do you know how humble that is? Nobody wants to be the servant. They want to be the people in charge. Right? Workers at the, worker, at the employment office, they want, they want to be in charge. Amen? Yeah, you want to be in charge. No, Jesus, he was there to serve. Even as the Savior, even as Jesus, the leader of the disciples, he is the one pulling up the towel, pulling up the basin of water, and serving them. His mind, let this mind be in you, was humility. And secondly, it was obedience. And they're so tied together. So the exhortation to us, to you, is imitation. In fact, do you know what the name Christian means? It means little Christs. In Antioch, the people there first called them Christians in Antioch because they were like, they were like Jesus. You're just acting just like Jesus. Good, that's, that's, that's awesome. I want to be a Christian. So listen to me today, 2023 Christians. 
If you're not acting like Jesus, you better check your name out. Either change your name or change your game. If you say Jesus is your Lord and Savior, act like Jesus. Live like Jesus. We should hate the very sin that put him on the cross, not tolerate it, not celebrate it. Can I hear an amen? So we are supposed to be small-scale models of the real thing. How many of you guys remember making model cars? I mean, it looked like the real, you really wanted the real thing, but you, you had to settle for the, the, the small-scale plastic thing. You know, you wanted the 71 Dodge Charger, but you had to just settle for the plastic because you probably weren't old enough to drive it anyway. Today, church, listen. This cross is really pretty. But the one Jesus was on, it wasn't pretty. And really, a cross is not something that we're supposed to see as pretty. But this is what Jesus did. He took that cross. He carried that cross. And then he got on that cross. You know what Jesus says? We're to do the very same thing. Through Paul, take up your cross every day. And Paul said this, I die daily. You see, I think if I could, if I could diagnose the Christian spiritual problem of 2023, it's that the 2023 American Christian hasn't quite learned to die to their self daily. Because it's not about us. Did you know church services were not about us? Did you guys know that? It really is immaterial whether we like the music or not. Does he? It's really immaterial if you like the sermon or not. Does he? Because you see, Jesus often said, can I just let you in on something? I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little over 11 here, but do you know, if you keep reading what I just read in Matthew, if you keep reading uh, after Jesus enters into the, the city on the, on the donkey and it seems like he's there for peace, do you know what he does? He goes into the temple, and do you know what he sees outside the temple? People are buying and selling doves and lambs and... In church, do you know what Jesus does? He doesn't go, ah, it's no big deal. Yeah, that's, that's okay. No, he's looking at all this, and he's, he, he's making him a whip. And it's hurting his heart. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the zeal of the Lord consumed him. And he went in, and he took those tables. He had a spiritual benefit. Right there in front of I mean, if you're going to have a fit, it may as well be a spiritual benefit. Amen? I mean, he benefited the kingdom of God when he took and he overturned those tables. He took the whip. He wasn't whipping people, but he, was, he took a whip and he said, you've made my house of prayer, the Father's house, into a house, a, a den of thieves. Make it a house of prayer. It's not about you. It's not about you getting money so these people can offer sacrifices. It's about them people giving to God what belongs to God. 
and to make this place a house of prayer. You see, even back in those days, the church was not a house of prayer. The church was not praying the way the church needed to pray. How many know it's our lifeline? If we got problems, if we got troubles, if we've got confusion, if we've got doubts, if we have worries, if we have financial problems, if we have family problems, if we have work problems, what we got to do, we got to begin to pray. If we don't pray, listen to me. If you come to me and you ask for me for counseling, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is have you prayed? Are you praying? Have you prayed about this? Are you, are you really truly, have you grabbed the word of God? Have you gotten it with God? Are you praying? Are you fasting? Jesus said some of these things don't come out except through prayer and fasting. So we got to get serious in the kingdom of God for God to get serious in our life. Can you say amen to that? Well, I got I to gotta close. We're done. We're not done, but we're, we're done. Would you bring somebody next Sunday? I'm going to tell you something. Listen. They will not, you will not, you will not regret it. You will not regret bringing somebody next week. I will assure you. They will hear the word of God. They will be confronted with the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do, amen? Present it. It's not our business to get them saved. It's just our business to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost so that they can come home. Bow with me. Stand with me, if you will, right now. All over the congregation, all of you at home, walk with me on this. Pray with me on this. I want you to just pray this. Heavenly Father, all over the world, send forth your spirit. Draw the prodigals. Draw those that are away from you and bring them home. Speak to your church. Speak to your people. Let us be on fire. Let the zeal of God consume us just like it consumed you, Jesus. And let this mind be in us. Say it out loud. Let this mind be in me that was in you. One of humility and one of obedience like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go into now the, the field of harvest and begin to harvest souls. Amen. See you guys next Sunday. God bless you.